<laughs> yeah. I, you notice I didn't say I promise, but I'm pretty positive because I, I did. I've been asking the Lord. I, I, I told the Lord because I knew we were coming to the end of this, and, and uh, I've really enjoyed this format. And, and because at the very least, I kind of know ahead of time a pathway. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I asked the Lord, I said, would you, would you allow me to do this again? And, and keep this same format, and, and he told me he'd tell me this week, so I don't know yet, but my, my hope is that we can continue this, this same sort of format, because bottom line, he says what he wants anyways, right? So we are in Colossians, I want you to turn to Colossians, We're, this is, this is the, the conclusion or the climax of Colossians, and, and this is where everything's really kind of summed up, wrapped into one. And, and I couldn't be more excited about today. I've been excited about it for days. And, and what the Lord has for us is just, I mean, just pure truth and really, really quite extraordinary. And so, uh, so let's begin reading Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for that wisdom. Been very excited about what he had to share today. Now let's have an altar call. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I get paid back when other people get the microphone, so that's all right. No, but in reality, I, I, what, what I said was true. Today, and, and these verses particularly the next uh, six or seven verses, but even through the end of Colossians, is a wrap-up of what the book of Colossians is. And it's been, it's been really an extraordinary ride to go through Colossians and, and what the Lord had for us in here, but I, I really believe it's going to boil down to what the next few verses really hold for us. So to begin with, though, I, I want to read through the end of the chapter. Okay, so that way we know, or the end of chapter 4, so we know we're done with it. So I'm committed to being done with, done with it today. And, uh, and then we're going to go back to these first few verses at the beginning. All right, verse, verse 18. I'll read it again in case some of you didn't hear it the first time. <laughs> and I am joking, obviously. No, you'll, you'll see in a minute. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not promote, provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the, t- at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards the outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then I'm going to read through this. These are just some closing remarks by Paul. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He's the one who delivered this letter. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brother, brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Even in his closing remarks, Paul is uniting the bride. He is doing the very thing that must be done today. He's saying, even though you guys are in these different churches... You guys are in these different areas. You better come together. You better engage with each other in prayer. Be praying for one another. And and by the way, not just praying for each other. Because it's really generic to say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then you, you just say this quick prayer. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying God wants more. Family is more. Family is engaged, right? So, so that's really what Paul's ending with. But let, let's go back. We're going to concentrate, really, I mean, from verse 18 and through perhaps the first six verses of chapter 4. But let's, let's go back to verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as in, is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. And do you notice something going on here? I've read this a thousand times. And, and of course, 
being in the churches that I was raised in, I I heard it probably 2,000 times. (laughs) But for the first time, the Lord showed me something I've never seen before as to why. As to why he had Paul write exactly what's written here. And I want you to, we're going to reread this, but I want you to recognize it through the filter of what was difficult for each of these groups in their time. Okay? Think about that as we read through this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, recognize the culture of the time was a transition from the law into grace. Right? Okay? But recognize also, does this mean, as we're reading this, okay, this is, from linear thought, this is, okay, wives, submit to your husbands and your life will be good. Is that what it's saying? Boy, there's a lot left out there if that's the case. Because as we look at other scripture, we're one flesh. We're bound together, husband and wife. There's mutual submission going on there. So as we read this, understand what Paul is talking about is the very thing that was the hardest thing to do to those particular groups of people in that time frame. See, it was hard to be submissive to a husband that was difficult to love you. Does that make sense? In the culture that they were in, there was, it was different than now. It's different than now between men and women, and certainly between husbands and wives. Right? There, there was, a, a, in the law, a submission, if you will, on the outside Right? I mean, back then, women didn't speak outwardly like they do now. Different culture. So what he's talking about here is talking about the very thing that was difficult for them to do. As we read on, masters, I, I, I mean servants, obey your masters in everything. Let's, let's read that. Bond servants, verse 22. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And then he clarifies, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do with everything. How many times do, think about that at that time. Okay, imagine if you were a bondservant. Now what's a bondservant? A bondservant is a servant by choice. Oftentimes, it was because a family came into hard times. Or, or perhaps children lost their parents. Or, or maybe part of the family was lost and they could not go on without literally selling their own life into slavery. So sometimes they would become a bondservant out of need. Other times they would become a bondservant because they loved the family they become a Bondservant too. But bondservant is by choice. That's why Jesus calls us his bondservant when we accept him in our hearts. We by choice become his servant. 
So what he's saying here is, is bond servants, you have chosen this life. Why would then you give just a little bit? Why wouldn't you give your best? Why would you only give what's best when you're being seen? I, I love Todd White, and, and most of you have heard his testimony, but I love the testimony he gives about the job that he got right after he gets saved. Right? It was, I think they sold ice or something like that. He, he would go in a truck, tell these different places, and, and sell, sell something. It was ice, I believe. But, but with him, it wasn't about what he could, could do in his responsibility. He said, he said, I did it just like it said in Colossians. I did it as unto the Lord. So, so when there was an idle time, he'd pick up a broom. He'd pick up a broom and help clean. He'd, he'd do this. He'd go help other guys on the trucks as they're emptying the trucks. He would help them. Why? To get ahead? No. It's because he took seriously what it said here. When you're a bond servant, which by the way, it's the same thing as taking a job. Okay, you may not live with them. You may not uh, be tied to them 24-7. But when you take a job, you take an oath. You take a responsibility. You're literally paid for you to do your best. You're not paid for you to do a bullet list. Okay? That's what a subcontractor is. A subcontractor is paid to do a bullet list of things because they contract for a specific purpose. When you're hired as an employee... You are hired to do your best. That's why they interview you, right? They interview you to see, are you a good fit? Are you somebody who is going to give your best? So that, that's, what, that's what it's talking about here. In each of these cases, these were the things that were difficult. It was difficult for a bondservant to, to do things that, that they should do to please and to help the master's household when, when the master wasn't even there. Now keep in mind, back then, they would go on trips and they'd be gone for a long period of time. So it wasn't like, hey, I got an hour. You know, this is cool. I got an hour. I could just goof off for an hour. They'd be gone for days. You know, so, so these, these bond servants or these, the, these servants had opportunity to not put everything into it and not be seen by, by, the, by the master, by the... In, the, in today's case, the employer. How many things can you get away with at work that you'll never be seen for? I, I, I'm going to tell you a story. I, I'm actually embarrassed to say it, but, but it's a good example of not pouring your all into, into, uh, into your job. When I graduated school, I, I put out my resume. I went to work for Martin Marietta. And, and it, I, I am in my heart, I am an entrepreneur. It's not that I can't work for other people. Um, I won't go down that road. <laughs> I won't go down that road. But, but I was so blessed to get this entry-level position. It was an incredible job. It was an awesome job. But it was a boring job. It was. I, I am not made to crunch numbers. Okay, I, am, I, I, w I was on the marketing side of the finance side of this marketing department, and, and I didn't get to do the fun parts of marketing. 
I had to crunch numbers. And, and, and literally, I could do my job in about 10 hours in a week. Which, I mean, that's kind of their problem, I guess, too. But I could do my job, and then I had all this other free time. So I had a choice. I had a choice of what do I want to use that free time for. And, and unfortunately, I chose it for myself. I chose it to learn how to do other things that I wanted to learn. You know, I, I ch- and some of those benefited them, but some didn't. Some just benefited me. And then on days that I was so incredibly tired because I had no sleep the night before, I would go and <laughs> I would just disappear. I would just disappear in, in, into a nice little nap room. And, and looking back on it, I'm ashamed of that. Because, see, I didn't give my employer what I agreed to give them. I didn't give them my best. But yet, in the interview, I told them that I would do my best. Not the best of what they thought they might get out of me. That's different. Where are you at in your responsibility with your employer? Now, me... I, I, I took the easy way out and I became an entrepreneur. <laughs> if you call that the easy way out. But see, then you're kind of forced to. You're forced to do your best. You're forced to then do the things you wouldn't normally do for an employer. And it's a good lesson. It's a really good lesson in understanding that, that you are to pour into every responsibility you have Everything who you are. Why? Because Jesus shines through. That was the beauty of of Todd White's uh, uh, testimony, is how Jesus would shine through even in him sweeping up. I I remember when he was saying he he worked in the, it was before he was going out on a truck, I think, or yeah, I think it was before that, because he was just kind of a hand around the shop area or whatever, and and he would help customers and stuff like that. And, and when customers wouldn't be in there, he'd be sweeping. And, and the, the owner recognized that. It was a testimony to people and other workers that he was not working to get ahead, get a better sweeping job. right? He was working because he truly felt what Colossians said, you're working for Jesus Christ. What's it say here? Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. Why? Because you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your, as your reward. What does that mean? That means no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what kind of control a, a boss has over you or a company has over you, you are working towards something so much bigger. You're working toward a life that does not exist here. You're working toward that time when we end this life and we are with Jesus Christ. That's what you're working toward. Okay, and that goes back to the series that we did on the rewards. Because, and, and I'm not going to dovetail into that. If, you, if you're interested in that, go listen to it. But, but if you think that, that the afterlife, when we're with Jesus Christ, if you think that's the same for everybody, you're sorely mistaken. 
If you think that your relationship, when you take your last breath on this earth, if you think your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to automatically become awesome and great and intimate and close with your very next breath just because you're with him, you're wrong. Scriptures don't teach that. So what he's saying here is on this earth, your real job no matter what job you have in society, your real job is working for the Lord. You're a representative of him, no matter where you are. And, and we have all different kinds of jobs represented in here, and, and we have all the way from fun to mundane. And I, I've had both. I've had those jobs. That I, I explained one that was just mundane. It was, it, it was literally, I wanted to just, I can't do this. And then I get my paycheck. Okay, I could do it another two weeks. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, if, if that is the best that life has to offer, working for that next paycheck, no matter how good or bad it is, man, we're missing the boat. It's not supposed to be that way. There is so much joy that we're missing in that process. Even in your... It, 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 I know there are a lot of young people here, even in your first job. My, my very first job that was an actual where I went and interviewed and got a job was for McDonald's. Right? I know. Yeah, they had McDonald's back then. Is that amazing? Wow. And even back then, they were like on every corner. Yeah. I, I do not precede McDonald's. But that was my first job. And I remember in that job, now that job, I did a great job. They gave me free food. I, I worked the closing shift, and whatever was left over, we just got to take home and eat. It was actually kind of nasty after a while, but <laughs> but it was free. But I but I enjoyed that job. I don't even know why I enjoyed that job because because I wasn't a counter person. I was one of those burger flipper people. But but I got a kick out of going after records. Because they, they I, even this was so long ago, I even remember some of the terminology, and you're, you're on a five-turn, or you're on an eight-turn, you're on a 16-turn, okay, where you are producing these burgers at a rate to keep up with... Okay. So, so even that job, and, and I made minimum wage, which was a lot less back then, Okay, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I took joy in the people that I was working with. I took joy in, in making my manager proud of me. Now, part of that was, this was the first job I had ever had. That, that wasn't like, you know, because I did lawns and that sort of thing. But this was the first job where, where I had a person that, that I really had to measure up to a certain standard. And, and I remember that job. It's, it, everybody hated that job, and I loved it. I loved it because they were proud of me. They were proud that I would jump in it. I wanted to do the closing shift, and nobody wanted to do the closing shift. They loved that. You know, but my, my, my perception was different then. My, my perception wasn't about the money. My perception was about, and, and, and I'll be honest, it also wasn't about pleasing God. 
I mean, I, I was I was living for the Lord. I loved the Lord. Don't get me wrong, but but it wasn't like I read Colossians that okay, yeah, I, I need to do this job because of that. No, it, it was it was because I enjoyed what I received from it, not the paycheck. It actually wasn't that good, but but what I received was the love. What I received was well, we'll put Greg on it because he'll get it done. You know, okay, we need to train this new person on the grill. Get get them over with Greg. He'll teach them how to do it. See, I loved that. But don't we take pride, or why don't we take pride in whatever job we're given to do? Whatever job we, in America, it's, it's not even that, well, this is what you do, this is what you're given. In America, we have choices. So, so you're going into your employer by choice. You're going in there by choice to do this job. So, so then why don't we give it our best? And, and I believe that really rolls over to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if you're struggling in your job and giving it your best when you have literally contracted with them by them hiring you for you to do your best, then, then perhaps it's, it's either time for a heart change or the Lord's trying to show you it's, it's time for a different change, a different place. Because he wants you to get it, give it everything you've got. And it goes all the way back through these other things. What's he saying in all of this? Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, why was that tough back then? It was tough for the very reason that he said the next phrase, or the, the next command, husbands love your wives. Because in this burden of the law that they were in, can you guys still hear me? I feel like I keep going up and down and... In, in, in this burden that they were in of the law, it was culturally acceptable and, and uh, probably happened on a norm that, that the husband would take this authoritative stance in his family. That was normal. So as difficult it, as it was for Paul to say, wives, submit to your husbands, and do it with joy and do it with love, he was saying also to the husbands, love your wives. Why? Because what does love do? Love doesn't force. Love loves. Love puts the other person's needs ahead of their own. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did to us on the cross. He put our needs ahead of his. So when it's saying, wives, submit to your husbands, it's not saying the husband has this full authority over you and you are to be dirt under his feet. Because all throughout Scripture, that is a partnership. What he's saying here is trust and submit to that authority because that's the thing that's difficult for you to do. It's difficult for you to do. Husbands, love your wives. Why is he saying that? Because it's difficult for you to do. Now, please understand, there is a hierarchy in a family. The Bible's very clear about that. But that's why. That's why those things are taken advantage of. That's why a husband takes advantage of that, of that hierarchy and says, 
well, that must relate then to my power over telling you what to do. That's not it at all. That's certainly not love. Because love is a partnership. Love is trust. Love, as I said before, is thinking of the other person ahead of you. Now, in reading this, if we look at this linear, we say, okay, well, wives don't need to love their husbands. Okay, they've got to submit, but they don't have to love. How stupid is that, really? I mean, be careful how you read Scripture. So often we look at things in a linear way, in a bullet point way, and we miss the whole thing. What he's saying here is husbands, wives have a relationship together. By the way, my submission to Alexis is no different than her submission to me. I'm submitting because I want her needs to be filled even above my own. Because that's love. That's what being bound together is. That's what a healthy relationship is. And then he expands it further. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this is what pleases the Lord. (laughs) That's pretty generic, but that was the tough thing for the kids to do. Obey in everything. Why? Obey because when you become a parent, you understand you know more than the kids. Right? As a kid, you don't really believe that. I see. You're correct. Yeah. As a kid, and and I don't even mean kids, as a young adult, you come up and, and it's really easy to have a little bit of experience and recognize that you know everything. And that and that's normal. I went through that. I thought I knew everything. I was probably lucky to hit about 50%. <laughs> and looking at it now, I, I think I was probably more like 20-25%. See, the older you get, the more you grow in wisdom. The, the more you grow in circumstances. So, so the hard thing for the young people to do was to be obedient in something they thought they knew. How much, I don't know about you guys, it bugs me when somebody keeps telling me something I already know. It's like, thank you, I know that. I know that. I, this is the hundredth time you've told me that. And I told you I knew that 99 times before. I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. Do you not think I know that? I'm a grown adult person. Do I not know that? But in reality, there's a reason why they have to keep saying it over and over and over again. It's because you may know it, but you don't apply it. Yeah, we don't apply it. We may know it, but we apply it to our own paradigm. So why was he saying, children, obey your parents, young people, obey your parents, because this pleases the Lord? Because, again, there's a hierarchy there. But he's saying this because this was the difficult thing for the, for the young people to do, for the children to do, especially as they go into that transition period, right? In, into that growing up period. It was hard for them to be obedient when they wanted to be on their own, when, when they knew what was going on. That's why he said it here. Do what is difficult. Don't shy away from things that are difficult. 
If it's difficult for you to deal with a family member, you don't shy away from that. They're family. You deal with it. You talk with them about it. You pray with them about it. You deal with it. You don't shy away from it. That's what he's talking about here. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I find it interesting that he didn't say, mothers and fathers, do not provoke your children. Again, he's put, does that mean mothers don't provoke? I'm sorry, yes, they do. I mean, everybody except Beth. Beth does not provoke everybody else. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. Trust me, that was facetious. <laughs> no, of course mothers provoke also. But it was the father's propensity to do it. Why? Because they're, they're in this place of control. And any of you who are fathers in here know what I'm talking about. I know that I can press my children in a way that is wrong. And not healthy for them. And, and by the way, have I done that? Sure. Just ask Brooke. <laughs> right? I, I, think, I think that's normal. You know, we, we deal with that. We fight that. It's a normal thing. But, but, but why did he say that to fathers? Because that's a natural thing to do. I am not going to tell you. Just obey me. I, you don't need to know why. Just obey. Seriously. Come on. Why are we arguing about this for the thousandth time? <laughs> See, but you can push without building relationship. You can push that to a point where there's no substance behind it. If that's all that comes out of your mouth, especially if you recognize that by doing that as fathers, you're provoking, you will provoke a response. That's what he's saying. Avoid that. Why is he pointing that out? Because we have a tendency to want to go there. I know, I know for me, and, and this probably, I'm sure this is true for, for mothers too, but for me, oftentimes it's like, I don't want to invest the time right now. I've got a zillion things going on. I don't want to invest the time right now to explain to you for the tenth time why I'm saying do this. So instead, I push it to provoke. Because, see, once, once I provoke anger, okay, then this situation changes. I bring down the gauntlet, and you're done. Right? You're done. You do this. And now it's for other reasons. <laughs> okay, do you see what, what I just did, though? In not investing the time in speaking something through in relationship, what I did was I just brought it to a place where I am provoking the other person to make a choice. To make a choice of sin. To make a choice of anger. To make a choice of holding it in. Now, now by the way, I know this is focused on fathers here, but this applies to everybody. This applies to everybody in some form of leadership. This applies from a boss or a manager to somebody who is under them. You have the authority to provoke them to make wrong choices. That's what he's saying here is don't provoke wrong choices. Doesn't mean you could keep them from wrong choices, but don't provoke that out of them. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Everybody in here knows how to push a button on somebody else. 
that's provoking. If I know how to push a button with, with my kids or something to bring them to a place of anger where then I can just shut down with, with just the do it, period. You don't even need to know why. Do it. Do it or else. See, that's provoking this, this choice for them to sin. Now, is it their sin? Yes, it is. But I take part in that because I've provoked it. That's not just fathers to kids, right? Is he talking over there? That's not just fathers to kids. That's mothers. That's employer to employee. That's manager to worker. That's even in the realm of friendships. You even have hierarchy kind of in groups, right? You could take advantage of your position no matter where you're at. And what he's saying here is you can't do that. You can't do that. And why? Because you're working for a different time. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He said, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I know he's funny. Pay attention to me. You're going to miss something very, very special here. Because I promise you, this will change your life if you really let it sink in. Because every relationship that you have, understand this, every relationship you have will depend upon this. And for you young people that have marriage ahead of you, if you don't understand this concept, then you have a very difficult road ahead of you. You cannot produce real change simply through authority. You can't produce a a change of dynamics even in a friendship simply by pressure. Well, I I want them to like me more, so I'm going to make them do this. Or I'm going to pull something away from them so it makes them do this or that. That's called manipulation. That's not relationship. And what Paul's talking about here, remember what what Colossians has been talking about this whole time, is this idea of relationship with Jesus Christ, but relationship together. Colossians has focused on relationship together. You know, remember two top commands Jesus Christ gave that that, that rabbis there, the, the lawyer said. He, he told that lawyer that it, it, it literally wraps up the whole law into these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, with everything you've got. Love him. But then love each other as yourself. In other words, that it wasn't this is what you need to do and you can if, if you really want an awesome life, tag this on. See, it doesn't work that way. You will never get this. You will never draw as close to Jesus Christ as you can get without building relationships with others in his bride. It just can't happen. Because it's through those relationships that we learn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's the same format, it's the same thing. Do you understand? 
And, and so in getting this, you know, it, Paul throughout Colossians talked about the things that come in the way of that. You know, we talked about those plausible argu- arguments that, that make sense. You know, it makes sense. In, in the world that, that Alexis and I grew up in, it made sense to have this list of laws that you live by because on the outside, if you do that on the outside, it produces what looks like a good Christian family. But I can't tell you how many of those good Christian families that I, I know and I grew up with that are destroyed now. These families that became families from when I went to high school with them and their marriages are destroyed. Their families are destroyed. Their, their, their kids are off doing completely different things. Opposite of where the parents led them. That's not how it's supposed to be. See, we're supposed to be in relationship together. And that relationship is that each of us takes responsibility. Notice, he, he hit everybody here. He didn't leave out Anybody. He didn't leave out fathers because they're kind of the head, so, you know, they're okay. Let me hit the rest of these. He hit everybody. Because, see, we're all, we're all supposed to be in this together. We're all supposed to be in this relationship thing. Why? For the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of Jesus Christ. We talk about this, and, and man, I, I hear this all the time. I hit, and it, Forgive me, it kind of bugs me after a while. Let's bring heaven to earth. Right? What what in the world does that mean? Because what you do is you bring heaven to earth and we're going to do it through this program. We're going to do it through this thing where we just bring a bunch of people together and they pay attention to somebody on the stage. And and I'm not downplaying that. I think that's awesome. There's there's great things can be built from that. But that's not where the power is. That's not where the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is in the relationships built within his bride that then point us to him. See, it's in the relationship. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm going to declare it. I'm confident the Lord's going to let me to go through another book, even though he said he won't tell me till this week. But, but that book is the book of Acts. I've been praying about that because I want us to see what were the elements that made that original church, the first church, healthy. And, and by the way, in the book of Acts, there, there are many elements where, where it was not healthy. We'll see those too. But what made that early church so healthy? What in the world made them want to move in together? Can you imagine that? I mean, think about that. Really, it, this is not five people moving in together. Okay, they had 3,000 3, people come to them the first day. They started with 120. 3,000 people the, thir- the first day. It was like seven or eight days later, later they added 5,000. Okay, so they're over 8,000 people, and they all move in together. I'm not even sure what that means. I can't listen to this that sounds like a cult. That's right. By the way, by the way, I take pride in people calling us a cult. 
I mean, I mean, a good pride, not a not a bad evil pride. I, I won't bring her next week. <laughs> Thank you. Chain that woman up. No. No, but you know, seriously though, that's the truth. By the way, are we a cult? Yeah, we are. What is what is a cult? A cult is is one who sees the Messiah as a living, alive person. Yeah, that's us. We're, we're a cult. The only difference is there is a definition of a cult that says it's separated from the rest of the world, and that part does not apply because we're a part of the bride. The, this bride that's a huge cult, <laughs> right? Okay, but that and and now I totally forgot what my point was. But <laughs> I was talking about Acts. I, I'm excited to see what it means to develop relationship together. You know, beyond family, you know that that you kind of do live together, and that's easy. You spend time together. But see, in Acts, they they developed a relationship within the whole. You know, Friday night was awesome. We. We went to um, a Holy Spirit night at the barn vineyard church. And I had met their, their pastor, Bruce, I had met in the morning. Uh, we talked for a few hours, and, and it, was, it was awesome. And, and so I think we, we had like 20 people that we took there Friday night, which was, which was great. We were literally 20%. I think there were about 100, maybe a little over 100 people there. We were 20% of the people that, that were there. And... It wasn't like, oh, here's these outsiders coming in. We didn't know them, but they're our brothers and sisters. And, and I remember I put on Facebook, I'm excited to meet family I've never met before. See, that's, that's the idea that we need to have within the bride. That is the, the relationship and the camaraderie that he wants a ready bride to have. And so that's why Paul's focusing on these, on these people. He's saying, take the thing that is hardest for you to do and change it. Focus on it. Give it to the Lord. Do it like you're doing it for him. I'm to love Alexis like I am loving him. Do you see that? We're to take the very things that do not come natural to us. See, for me, it's easy to be authoritative that was, I, I grew up a military brat, a Marine Corps brat. I understand authority, and I loved it. I, I wanted to be in the military. I wanted to have a career in the military. The one who talked me out of it was actually my dad. Right? So I understand authority. It would be easy for me to take an authoritative stance within my family when it's inappropriate. So see, I'm supposed to fight that urge. Why? Because I love her. I'm supposed to look at her and look at her needs above my own. Does she need me to have an authoritative stance for no reason? No. That's harmful. That's harmful with your kids. But it's the same on the opposite end. It's the same being submissive. We can, we can choose not to be submissive when we're supposed to be submissive to an authority. Choose not to be just to stick it to them, right? How's that work out? Badly, yeah. 
It certainly doesn't build a relationship. So what Paul's saying here is, is, folks, take the things that are even most difficult to do. Apply them. Know that you are doing them for Jesus Christ and let it apply differently. Become family. You know, and he, he says, even in verse 1 of chapter 4, he said, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. What is this talking about? It's talking about manipulation when you can do it. Okay, I've been a business owner. I've owned several businesses. I've had many employees. And, and I knew opportunities that I could manipulate what I wanted out of them. Would that have been right for me to do? No. Would it have been easy for me to do? Yes. But that's why God's saying, you know, those, those who are in authority over somebody else, don't manipulate to get what you want. If you're a manager at a business, or, or you own a business, or you, you have people underneath you, don't manipulate to get what you want. If you, were, if you were working for the Lord, like it says here, to have that paradigm, would you do that? Well, Lord, look, I, I got these folks to do what you wanted, and, and I manipulated them to do what you wanted. What do you think he'd say? He'd say, well, where's the evidence of relationship? Where's the evidence that they would want to work for you if you didn't pay them? How crazy would that be? See, I've experienced that. I have worked for other people in a subcontract thing where I, I wanted to work for them whether I got paid or not. It, it's certainly been that way for me with the church. I mean, I, I've been in church leadership for 25 years or so. Never, never was paid anything. Wanted to. I wanted to do that. How do we, you know, do we ever want to go the extra mile in who we work for, what, what we do in that. So again, he's pointing out here, don't take advantage of things that you have advantage over. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly. So that really is the culmination of Colossians. Build relationship. Build relationship together. And then he goes on just a couple more things. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open a door for us for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. Because when he's writing this, he's in prison. What he's saying is don't forget this is warfare. Because what is prayer? We, we have this nice little word called prayer, and people don't really understand what it is. When you pray, you are going before the throne of God. You can go before the throne just to lay down some information, which he already knows, by the way. Or you could go before the throne of God with expectation. Because you're going there understanding what you're doing. When we talk about going before the courts, that's what prayer is. We're going before the courts. We're going before the throne of God in prayer for other people, for whatever it is that he has us praying for. And that's, that's what Paul's saying here is continue steadfastly. 
In other words, be consistent in your prayer. Be consistent in this battle because the enemy is. The enemy will not give up. He will not stop. He will. Ha- the only thing pushing him back is when he's beaten back. Believe me. That's what the Bible teaches. He goes, uh, Revelation 12.10, he goes before the throne as our accuser day and night. One day he will be beaten back. One day he will, will be taken out altogether. But until that day, we're at war. We're at war in prayer. Paul said, pray for me. Go to war for me. I'm in prison and I have this mouth and I can't even tell people about Jesus Christ because I, I am, I'm encumbered here. He said, fight for me. Fight for me because I have a voice and I'm willing to use it and God's called me to use it. So fight for me to be able to use it. Do we fight for each other? Do we fight for each other in each other's giftings? And we had the gifts meeting yesterday. Which, by the way, I, we, I know we never announced that, but we have this thing called a gifts meeting every other Saturday. And, and, and we, we on purpose don't really mention it because it's, it's more about if people are hungry, they're, they're going to come and they're going to find out about it. But it's, it's about really talking about what does it mean for these gifts to operate through you. Well, so much of that is warfare in prayer. Pray for each other. Paul said to seek all the higher gifts. Do you pray for each other in the gifts? I know, I know most of us seek them. Do we pray for each other in them? You know, do you guys pray for me? Do I pray for you? We're to pray for each other, go to war for each other. And, and he said, by the way, do it with a thankful heart. Not so much thanking that, Lord, thank you that I can pray. Which is true. What a privilege to be able to go before the Lord. But why do we give with thank, or why do we pray with thanksgiving? It's because we pray with expectation. Do you pray with expectation? Do you pray expecting for the Lord to do good in your life? Do you, when you pray, Lord, I want your will, I stand in agreement with your will to do what you want in my life. When you pray that, do you have expectation that he's going to do exactly that? That's what he's saying. Give thanks. Thank him for that. That's why we thank him for the building that we're not even in yet. Because we have already prayed with expectation that prayer has been answered. We know that building is ours. So now we pray with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. Thank you that it's already been declared. I mean, whether those owners know it yet or not is really irrelevant. Right? But we pray with thanksgiving. Not of what our paradigm is. Okay? And and let me clarify that. It doesn't mean that, well, you know, I want this path for my life. I want this particular job, so I'm going to pray. You, you have no reason to necessarily think that's what God wants for you. It's just what you want for yourself. To pray with thanksgiving in that and pray with this expectation and to say, Lord, your will, not mine, you better be careful what your expectation is. If it's coming from a paradigm of what he really wants, 
then you're open to whatever he wants. If it's coming from a paradigm of, well, this is, this is kind of how I see it, Lord, and, and I want, I'm giving you, you know, kind of a wide parameter, but stay within here. Because this is the path, really, that I want. It's, it's kind of what I see myself doing. It's what I'm comfortable with. And I can tell you right away, right away, if it's something you're comfortable with and you're seeking a relationship with the Lord, you probably got something wrong there. Because if there's one thing I've learned, he will always take you out of your comfort zone. Always. Maybe not an overall path, but along the way. He's going to take you out of your comfort zone. And, and by the way, that's the best place to be. That's where you want to be. That's where he builds relationship. He builds this trust. He builds this faith. So always pray. And then just to finish it up here. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What's he talking about, outsiders? Is that everybody like outside of our church? Is that everybody outside of our family? No, outsiders are those who do not know Jesus Christ. He's saying, understand you have a responsibility to the world. You have a responsibility to be this light. You have a responsibility to be Jesus Christ for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. What does that mean? Wisdom is to be discerning. Be discerning of those who don't know the Lord. Be careful what you give them in terms of authority in your life, in terms of closeness of relationship. That's why he's saying walk in wisdom. Because, see, on the flip side, he has a plan for you to be an example to them. So walk in wisdom of that. Because his desire is for them to come to know him. And we're to have that testimony. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you, God. You are almighty God. And Lord, I thank you for this book. I thank you for what you have revealed over the last eight weeks. Especially to me. I thank you for that, God. And and I thank you of this focus on relationship with you, which we knew, and, and that's something we've been talking about for, for the last several years. But really understanding this paradigm that our relationship together as family is just as important because it is what highlights our relationship with you. So God, I, I just pray that you continue to show us what it means to be in relationship together with you right in the middle. I pray, Lord, that you open our eyes to those difficult things, and they may be different than what's listed here, 
but those things that are naturally difficult for us to do. Instead, you're wanting us to put others ahead of ourselves. Put others' needs ahead of ours, even within our family, even within our work. Lord, as you have been, I pray that you continue to change our paradigms. We desire you. I declare it. We desire you. And we want your perfect will, Father. I ask even right now as we come before your throne that you open up the book that you wrote for each person here of what you desire in their lives. I pray that that's read aloud into the records of heaven. And Father, we declare we want those books. We want your will. Help us to be able to see the points that are difficult for us. Look beyond our own set paradigms and just trust you. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I will not cook today. <laughs> okay. Is this on? No. No? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Praise God. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> um, I have loved these past few weeks of just going through Colossians, and I don't know about y'all, but this last one was very convicting, but in a good way, you know? And so, I don't know, I just, I encourage all of you guys to go through all these messages, because what an awesome thing we have of listening to it on a podcast with technology and everything, because there is such there are more gems you can get by re-listening to a message that you just heard on Sunday. I, there have been so many things that I have gotten from the same message that I, I had just gotten on Sunday morning, and I listened to it like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and it's just like God's just downloading so much more, and so I encourage you guys to do that. Um, I just came up here real quick because I have a couple announcements for the young